church is divided over an issue. That's the one we don't want to get to, right? We know personal conflict is inevitable. It happens. We're, we're sinful people. It's going to happen. But what about this conflict in the church? It might be inevitable as well, but I want to do everything that we can as a church to head it off. I want to do everything that we can to, to, to make sure that we can avoid that. So conflict, when a church is divided over an issue, how should we handle it? How should it be handled when the conflict is, is church-wide? It's not just one or two people with a conflict with each other. It's, it's, it's everyone. How do you deal with this? And that's what Acts chapter 15 does. Acts chapter 15 gives us that insight to dealing with conflict church-wide. Now, can I, in my years you know, just of, of ministry, I've watched some conflict in churches that were almost created just by poor leadership. Here's what I mean by that. I've watched some churches, and I kid you not, uh, I watched a church argue and was split over what color the, the carpet should be in the, the new carpet going into the sanctuary. And there was a group of people that wanted it blue because it would modernize it a little bit. There was another group of people that wanted it to stay red because it was the picture of the blood of Christ. And then so we had in this church, you had those who were in the blue camp and those who were in the red camp. If you were in the red camp, you said, you people don't like the blood of Jesus. You know, and it, it, what did it do? It just created unnecessary conflict, right? I've got a list of nine things in our Constitution and bylaws. When we start creating our Constitution and bylaws, nine things that our church votes on. You know what's not on the list? Color of the carpet. We will never be voting on a color of a carpet. You know what we'll do? We'll, we'll put together a team and we'll say, y'all decide. And if, if we don't like it, so what? Let's proclaim the gospel. You know, if you're so focused on the color of the carpet that you can't worship, something else is wrong. We need to address that issue, the heart issue. You know, so let's not get caught up with that. I know another church, not kidding, their argument was over color again, that it was over the color of what color should the dumpster be. The local dump, the local, uh, they had two options. You could have a nice blue one on your church property, or you could have a brown one. And, they, and you know what it did? Created a conflict. So I want the nice big blue one. The blue one looks nice. And, you know, others were like, no, I'll just get the brown one. It's, it's cheaper, you know, if we go that way, you know. And, you know, and it's like, let somebody decide. Just let somebody make that decision. Go with it. Because otherwise you're creating unnecessary conflict within the church. And literally having a business meeting over those things. And people, and people will show up for it. They'll show up for it. They'll show up for them for sure. So Acts chapter 15. Now, let me, let me ask you this before we turn there. What happens to the mission of the church when there's conflict? What happens? Think about that. What happens to the mission of the church when there's conflict? It doesn't matter how big the conflict is. It doesn't matter how small the conflict is. Here's what it does. It hinders the advancement of the gospel. It hinders the advancement of the gospel. If it's individual conflict, those people are what? They're distracted from the gospel. 
They're distracted from being able to help move forward with the gospel. If it's a church-wide conflict, the whole church gets distracted from the advancement of the gospel. And unfortunately, the advancement of the gospel has often, hear me on this, been hindered by people in the local church who block the way of others. How sad is that? In other words, the advancement of the gospel is not always limited just simply because we're dealing with people outside the church trying to stop it. We just can't get the people inside the church motivated and to not be fighting with each other long enough to advance the gospel. So it's a frustrating place to be when you want to do something for the kingdom of God and it's those within the church who are hindering the work. It's a frustrating place. You want to do something for the kingdom of God and you're like, hey, I'm really excited about this. I want to, I want to do this ministry. I feel like you know, we could do this or you know, somebody who's like, hey, I would love to, to start a prison ministry. And, and, but yet, there's other people trying to, to stir up trouble, and, and it keeps us distracted. It's a frustrating place. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to walk through Acts 15. I want us to see what was the biblical model for dealing with this conflict that can help us with conflicts that arise within the church. And how can we... How can we avoid it? And when and if it happens, here's what we're going to do. We're going to follow the scriptures. We're going to turn to the scriptures and ask for the Holy Spirit to give us direction as we move forward. So let's jump into it. Key point number one. Here it is. Make sure you have leaders in the church who can recognize false teaching. Make sure you have leaders in the church who can recognize false teaching. Now, why do I say that? Before we jump right back into, or before we jump into Acts 15, some of the things that's worth having a business meeting about might be as if there's a movement within the church that is starting to teach something that's not biblical. Then we need to step in. Not necessarily having a business meeting over, you want the blue carpet or red carpet, but rather do we have leaders in the church who can recognize false teaching? Let's jump in. Let's look at Acts 15, verses 1 through 5. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the, convert, the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, let's pause there just for a moment. Let's camp out. Let's think about some of this. Did you hear who the false teachers were? <laughs> Did you hear who they were? It's like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? They're showing up again, these Pharisees. I thought those were the, you know, the Jewish leaders, right? And now what's happening? 
a sect of the Pharisees who were once the problem in the Jewish community have now what? They brought their same legalism into the church. They're bringing it right over with them. That's who it is. These false teachers are going, well, they've got to become good Jews. They've got to do this, and they've got to do this, and they've got to do, they have to become Jews first, and then they can be saved. And so what did they do? It was a sect of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, and we know a lot about them. We've read through them, about them in, in Luke, and we've read about them in John, and we know a lot about the Pharisees. But here we have them now in the church. Pharisees in the church. Now, the Pharisees, historically, were legalistic Jews. And they're now bringing legalism into the Christian church, and these Pharisees started teaching that Gentiles had to first become Jews in order to be saved. Now, why is that so dangerous? Because they're pouring new wine into old wineskins. They are attempting to put the grace of God into an old system of legalism. They are saying, well, the grace of God is good and all, but it's got to be what? It's got to be in this container of legalism. And that's a dangerous place to be. This group of legalists, we no longer call them Pharisees. We typically associate the Pharisees with the Jews, right? So what are we going to call these people in the Christian church? They're called the Judaizers. Judaizers. So anytime you see uh, Judaizers in Scripture, Judaizers are going to be those that are, are basically following the teachings of the Pharisees. Now keep in mind the church at this point in time, they're dealing with this issue. And if we were dealing with it, you know what we'd do? We would say, well, right here in Romans it says this. Well, right here in Galatians it says this. Well, right here in Hebrews, it says this. But guess what? They don't have Romans. They don't have Galatians yet. They don't have the book of Hebrews yet. It's coming, and it's going to come very, very soon. But at this point in time, the conflict has, has come about, and the apostles are involved, the pastors are involved, and, and these Judaizers are involved, and they're saying, nope, it's Jesus plus this. And any time, any time someone adds something to Jesus in order to be saved, watch out. Watch out. If someone comes along and ever says to you, well, it's Jesus plus this, then run. Listen, avoid, avoid that at all costs. Why? Because they're heading down the road of legalism. Well, you got to do, you know, yeah, you have the grace of God, but you also have to have this, or you also have to have this book, or you also have to have, you know, and what do you do? You're headed down the wrong path. You're headed down a dangerous path. False teachers are going to be those that say something like Jesus plus. Well, it's Jesus and the law of Moses. It's Jesus and this. Look at, look at verse 5 again. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. What do we need to do as a church? We need to be able to recognize false teaching. We need to be able to recognize it. Not just me. Not just me. 
all of us, as many of us as we can, need to be able to recognize false teaching when we, when we hear it. And sometimes, uh, even, even publishers, we have to be careful. Sometimes publishers can put headings in the Bible to help us recognize Scripture and help us to organize it and categorize it and so forth. I noticed something in, in my Bible about a heading that was used in the translation this week. Here's what the head, header said. And in fact, I'm, I'm looking for it right there. It is uh, in my Bible. The header at the beginning of chapter 15, it says conflict over circumcision. Church, the conflict wasn't over circumcision. The conflict was over salvation and how we are to be saved and what it takes to be saved. Circumcision was not what the conflict was about. They weren't, they weren't debating, is it right or wrong for someone to be circumcised? That was, not, that was never the, the, the debate. And I see that, and I thought, conflict over circumcision? That, that's not the conflict. That's not the conflict at all. Now, that's, that's a header, just a side note here. It's a header by the publisher. That's not inspired scripture. Okay, that's just the publisher put that in to try and help us a little bit, but in this case, it really wasn't much help, help at all. The debate was over salvation and legalism, adding a yoke upon the neck of Christians instead of understanding gra the grace of God. So this is why we have to do what? Grow. Grow as a church in our understanding of God's Word. You hear us say it all the time, you know, gather, grow, go. Gather, grow, go. It's why grow is so important. We have to have that ability. It's, it, it's, it's the better we know the truth of the scriptures, the better we understand it, the better we'll be able to recognize false teaching. So where are we going to hear it? Where are we likely to come across false teaching? Let me share some with you. You're going to run across false teaching on the internet. No surprise there, right? You're going to run across some people on the internet that's going to teach some crazy things, and they're going to say, well, the Bible teaches this. And you're going to go, what? That's not what the Bible says. But hear me, hear me on this. If you're not well-versed in the scriptures and you see that, and you go, well, wow. Did you know, you, let, me, let me give you my favorite example. Did you know the Bible says there is no God? What? I can show you in scripture. The Bible says, and I, and, and listen, quote, there is no God, end quote. Just like that. Now, I can take that and say, the Bible tells us that God doesn't even exist. But does it? I can say, yes, I can tell you a scripture. It says right now, it says, quote, there is no God. Now, what am I doing? I'm taking it out of its context. What is the context? Well, if you read the words right before it, here's what it says. The fool has said in his heart, quote, there is no God. So you see what I'm saying? We have to be very careful because there are people out there who will take those segments. They'll take that little clip and say, look, the Bible says that God doesn't even exist. There is no God. And that's ridiculous. And you'll see that stuff across the internet. What about books? Yeah, we're going to come across books. Now, published works are not exempt from false teaching. But this is also why it's important to go with trusted publishers, trusted authors, people that you know have been vetted, people that you know uh, have uh, a biblical view. What about Christian songs? What? 
Yeah. Did you know some of our Christian songs that we're, you know, if we're not careful, we're not listening carefully, that some of the theology even in Christian songs can be, can be altered or changed? It's interesting and important uh, song uh, in, in our theology is one we sang this morning. We sang about in Christ alone. That was when it started you know, going haywire and trying to cut us out, right? Well, there was a debate a couple of years ago over this song. And uh, it, it, it's no, no secret here. There was a, a church denomination that wanted to change the lyric from the wrath of God was satisfied. They wanted to change it to the love of God was magnified. Now, why would they do that? Both statements are true, right? Was the love of God magnified on the cross? Absolutely. What, were they, what was this particular denomination doing? They were avoiding the deeper issue of the wrath of God being satisfied. They didn't want to sing about the wrath of God. They didn't want to acknowledge that God has a wrath that was poured out and it was satisfied upon the cross. They don't want to deal with that. So instead, because their narrative is God is love and that's all that matters, we've got to get rid of anything that says anything about God's wrath. So they wanted to change this lyric. And they ended up not putting it in their denomination's hymnal. Why? Because the author said, absolutely not. We're not going to change that. Because it is because of the wrath of God was satisfied that we have salvation. Is your statement true? Yes. But are you, are you diminishing the depth of the lyrics? Yes. So even in our, even in our lyrics that we sing, they're important. Radio personalities, you know, sometimes we can listen to radio uh, preachers. Not everyone on the radio has biblical teaching. What about the pulpit? Yeah, even there. Here's my point. I'm saying it's anywhere. It's everywhere. It's all sorts of places. And that's why we have to know and study God's word, because it can show up anywhere. None of us are exempt. Listen, if I ever say anything and you go, hey, I don't know. I don't know about that. Listen, you got the freedom to come to me and say, listen, I think you were off base here. And here's why the scriptures say this. Listen, I'm not, I'm not fallible. This is. This, this has, this is without error. I'm going to make mistakes. I can even misunderstand something. But here's what I want you to understand. We turn to the scriptures because the scriptures have the authority. And the better we know that, the better we can recognize false teaching. And if the church is ever conflicted about something like that, we have to have people in the church who can recognize false teaching. 